to Redirected. My name is Andrew East, and this is a show where I go down and talk with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, really anybody who has experienced a significant pivot or change in life. I call these changes redirections, and I think when we take a step back, we realize that all of us go through large changes, and oftentimes it's how we make it through that pivotal moment that defines what's next for us. And so after having experienced a lot of these big changes in my own personal life, I want to sit down with people who have made it through these changes well, whether that's in their career, personal life, it could be whatever it is, um, in order to learn for myself, but then also share those learnings with you. And so today's an episode that I'm really looking forward to, and I have been for a while. We sit down and talk with Nate Boyer, who is a Green Beret. He signed with an NFL team. He's got so many interesting aspects about him. He does a ton of charity work, which I really respect about him. But Nate and I actually met about five years ago at a college football award ceremony, and uh, him and I played the same position in college, funny enough. He played at the University of Texas and I played at Vanderbilt. And then we both ended up signing free agency contracts, him with the Seattle Seahawks and me with the Kansas City Chiefs. If you wanna find out more about Nate and the things that he's doing, you can find that information in the show notes down below. But Nate tells a story about how he went from floundering in life to ultimately signing up to serve in the Green Berets to ultimately starting his college football career much later than normal and then how that led him into the NFL. And uh, he's got so many interesting stories to tell. I think you guys will like it. Before we jump in, if you guys haven't, please give this show a rating and subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening. And let's go ahead and jump into this one with Nate Boyer. All right, Nate, I, I just kind of want to, I like to start from the beginning just so people get an understanding of of how you grew up and, and kind of what culture you come from. If you could just tell us about your upbringing, doesn't have to be long-winded, but I would love to hear uh, about, you know, what it was like for you growing up. Yeah, I actually was born in Tennessee in uh, Oak Ridge. I don't know if you, you've been there before, but it's right next to Knoxville. And my, uh, my mom was working at Oak Ridge National Lab at the time. And my dad was getting his veterinary degree at uh, University of Tennessee, the other UT. And so when I was very young, we moved to the Bay Area. My dad started working at Golden Gate Fields, which is a horse racing track uh, up in Berkeley. He literally retired two days ago, which is crazy. Yeah, congrats, Mr. Boy. Thanks. Well, for as a reward, he's about to get locked down in the bay, and so they escaped to Oregon. So now they're on their their <laughs> retirement honeymoon, I guess, up here in Oregon. So, um, but anyway, so he worked there for you know almost forty years, and um, that's where I grew up. I grew up in a town called El Cerrito until I was about nine. And then we moved to Colorado for a few years and then back to the Bay Area where I went through high school. Um, played a lot of sports growing up, played everything pretty much but football <laughs> and uh, regretted that because it was uh, my favorite sport to watch. But when I was real young, I just uh, it, it didn't work out for me to play. And as I got older, I just I didn't have a lot of I was a big dreamer, but I didn't have a lot of self-confidence in my abilities. You know what I mean? So. Because of that, I didn't work very hard at it. I, I, I would, you know, screw around shooting hoops or whatever, um, but with not like a good practice plan to improve. And I remember being like 13 and thinking, maybe I should just play football, like give it a shot. But then, you know, that worry of like, well, what if I don't make the team or I ride the bench, like that'll be embarrassing and all the stupid stuff that we get in our own way when we're, we're young. And so I didn't play, you know, and uh, went through high school not doing that and wasn't really ready to go to college after high school. 
Um, so I moved down to, to Southern California and, and started working, started working on a fishing boat first and kind of dropped out of firefighting school. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. And then just sort of floundered for a while, really, until 9-11 happened. This begins an amazing story when 9-11 happened for you. You were how old? I was 20. 20 years old. As you said, you're kind of floundering, it seems like. Didn't, didn't really have a clear purpose and direction. But then when this happened, walk us through what happened next. Yeah, so, you know, I, 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 I thought about joining the military right away. Uh, a lot of people that, not a lot of people that I knew, but I just, I saw that people were doing that, you know, and it was inspiring just to see people leave jobs on, you know, Wall Street or wherever um, to, to sign up. And, um, but I didn't do it right away because I just wasn't sure what I would do in the military and I didn't really know what was going on. So what I started doing first was traveling and kind of exploring the world. So I would save my money up, working odd jobs. And then I would just go, um, I'd go to Europe and backpack around or Mexico and Central America. And eventually, um, a couple of years after 9-11, I wound up going to the Darfur in Sudan. So this was a place, it's on the border of Chad and Sudan in, in, in Sub-Saharan Africa. And it's in the midst of a genocide at this time. There'd been 300,000 people that had been murdered. There's refugee camps everywhere and they're understaffed at these places. And this other travel that I'd done and exploring, like it was educational in a lot of ways, but I didn't really have a purpose behind it, serving others anyway, you know what I mean? And so when I got to, uh, I, I got to this decision to, to go to the Darfur, I started calling all these uh, NGOs like Doctors Without Borders and Child Fund and Catholic Relief Services and all these groups. And they were appreciative of me reaching out, but they just said, look, it's just not that simple. There's too much red tape. You don't have a college degree. We don't really know what you would do. So you can't help us. And I was like, I'll do anything. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need to do anything high level. I just want to help. And uh, I just kept getting, you know, I appreciate it, but sorry. And I was like, screw that. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to fly myself over there. And so I went to the travel agent, a AAA travel agency. We used to do that back in the day before the interwebs dominated society. And I bought a ticket to fly over there. And uh, I just flew out there, spent a couple of months and kind of BSed my way onto a UN flight, and weaseled my way into the refugee camps and started volunteering uh, and helping out. And they ended up utilizing me. Um, and it completely changed changed my life forever. It changed it changed me because of the level of gratitude these people had, you know, just to get a glass of clean water, a meal, um, basic shelter, a soccer ball for like a village full of kids. One ball is like everything. You know what I mean? Uh, that was really cool because I I grew up um, not always with a lot, but with very, very loving parents and like a, uh, in a country where you can chase your dreams, you could be anything, you know what I mean? I had all these things that I sort of took for granted. Um, as a lot of us do, it's not our fault. It's just, we're, we're lucky to be born here, you know? And um, I just, I developed this, uh, this, this, this gratitude for people like that. And, and they were 
so gracious. They wouldn't take a thing from me. I'd try to, you know, give them some of my uh, snacks or like money and they would just like, you know, the kids would take the snacks, but like all the adults, everyone was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's just like, it's our culture. Like, we're just, you know, we just want to, we just appreciate you. And um, yeah, so like, I, I also developed like this patriotism, sort of this appreciation for what I came from because they all wanted to hear about America. You know, they all wanted to hear about this great place. And it is a great place, but like for me, I was like, no, it's, it's all right, I guess. Like there's cool stuff and blah, blah, blah. But um, not really thinking of it, thinking of it, like taking it into perspective what, you know, what they have or don't have. I mean, that place, it's amazing. They would, they would, they would kill to come over here and drive Uber or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, and so the last week I was there, I actually got malaria and it was pretty, it was pretty bad. Like I was down for about three days. This family took me into their compound, like nursed me back to health. They put me in this little room that had a radio um, and a Bob Marley tape in the radio, right? So they would like bring me water, you know, try to, I, I mean, I was sweating bullets and freezing cold at the same time. And like, I couldn't keep any food down. It was just bad. Um, and so I'm like, just trying to get through it. And I'm listening, I listened to Bob Marley tape like three times on each side and I was sick of Bob Marley. So I love Bob Marley, but that was enough. And then, so I started, I started flipping through the radio stations and the only channel that came in was the BBC, the BBC news. And it was like literally during the second battle of Fallujah, which was this like one of the biggest battles uh, in the war. And I'm listening to these Marines, you know, going in and, and their heroism and fighting for these, these people that, you know, have so many, so much different cultures and customs and um, all that was sort of put aside, put aside. And uh, I just, you know, developed even more pride for my country and, and wanted to continue to serve in some way. And so I kind of knew at that moment that the military was going to be the next step. And what year was that? That was in 2004. Bro, I'm just sitting here trying to figure out how you make decisions because it seems like you make pretty high stake decisions naturally and it comes easily to you. And like you just you're not a, you're not afraid to jump into something like that. You know, I wouldn't say it comes easily, though, because I think. In, in, all, in a lot of these circumstances, uh, maybe football aside, but these other circumstances, it was like, I just didn't, I, I didn't like myself very much, to be honest, you know what I mean? I didn't, uh, I didn't feel like I did anything that mattered until these, these opportunities sort of presented themselves. And then it was wow. like, I felt like I'd been selfish my whole life. And like, I mean, I, I, I partied a lot and it was just all about, you know, whatever feels good right now it wasn't about like um it wasn't about anybody else really either and then it was a lot of poor me stuff you know feeling sorry for myself because things aren't going a certain way and it's like dude you're not working towards something you're not like putting the time in necessary you're not being of service to others you're just not generally being a good person like of course things aren't going to come your way they shouldn't if they do and that happens for some people and it really frustrates us when we see that you know what i mean but like I was one of those people, so I didn't deserve any of that stuff. And and um, and the reality is like when I finally I don't I, and I couldn't put a I can't put a finger on what the switch was that got me out of that. I think it's because I felt like I was heading towards a pretty bad place, and, and I didn't want to let 
my family down. I didn't want to let my parents down because they put so much into us, you know, our, 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 me and my brother and sister. And they worked so hard um, until two days ago <laughs> for, for us, you know, forever. And it's like, it's kind of a slap in the face if like, I'm just off doing whatever Nate wants to do. And uh, so anyway, I think a lot of it was guilt and like kind of making up for that. But also once you finally uh, feel that, that's that purpose and service to others, it's very addictive and you feel, you finally feel that self-worth, you know what I mean? When it's no longer about you, it, it really becomes about you uh, feeling whole, at least in a sense. And I just got addicted to that feeling. And, um, and, and it's also like, you, you know, you feel like you're a part of something bigger than you for the first time. And that's a good thing. It's, uh, I think that was, that was very well said. It's so interesting to, to see you now who have, I mean, you've had a decorated career serving, you played NFL football, played collegiate football, at one of the top schools. And it's like, oh, I just imagine this very, uh, disciplined, dedicated to a cause guy who's probably been like that his whole life but it doesn't sound like that was, that's the story and it's i think i think that that your story is incredibly inspirational in the sense that like whether you're you know a hooligan and you're, you're out partying all the time and you don't have a, a, a purpose and you don't feel like you're contributing in any way or you know even me like now I got a freaking daughter and there's still parts about me that I'm like, man, I need to be more disciplined in this area. And, and like, there's, there's always something to work on, but like your story is you realize what that was. And it seems like it was a pretty quick transition from you realizing that to you actually doing something to change that. Did you know that what you were embarking on was going to lead down this journey of you ultimately, you know, serving at the highest level and, and you I can say you're a green beret right that's uh that's not a private information okay good. I don't want to I don't want to compromise national intelligence but uh, I, I thought about wearing it you know but it was, it was a bit much <laughs> that'd have been great it's probably better off you didn't but it's not it doesn't seem like you knew that that was going to be the end, end goal or end result you just took the first step that made sense uh with your new goal that you had which was being more selfless and 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 serving in whatever way you could. Is that, is that a fair way to put that? Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, so when I was, uh, when I got back, when I got back to the States, I thought, okay, you know, Marines, because I just, uh, I just had heard about these guys in Fallujah. So I went to the Marine Corps recruiter and maybe it's the recruiter's fault. I don't know. I just didn't get the best vibe. And I just, something about it. I was like, I don't know, man. Now I'm like second guessing myself. And like across the street is like the army recruiting office. And so I go over there, kind of check things out. The guy's trying to sell me on, um, I don't remember what the job was, doing some kind of intel job. It's just something about it just didn't, it, I don't know. They, you know, they got to make quotas, like I get it. And he was trying to like, he was trying to funnel me down a direction because they don't want you to fail. And I didn't really know what a Green Beret was. I knew what an army ranger was, but a Green Beret, I kind of just had a, a misconception I think because of honestly because of like Rambo's a Green Beret you know and the A-team they're Green Berets and so I sort of thought it was like this just vigilante mercenary type thing you know and 
so I left and I, I continued to think about it and I actually went to get my oil changed. And randomly there was another magazine. This time it wasn't a magazine about the Sudan. It was about uh, a special forces. And it had like this, I don't remember what magazine it was even, but it had like these guys like fast roping out of a helicopter, you know, and it's reading about, it's, it's, it's said on the cover something about this new con uh, contract for the special forces. So I read the article and essentially what was happening was because they were trying to bolster the uh, special forces unit, the Green Beret is a slang term for army special forces, because they were trying to bolster that unit, they were bringing in people off the street if you met certain requirements, you had to be a certain, you know, I think you had to be, at the time, I think you had to be 21. Um, you had to have some college, or at least all these things were encouraged. Uh, you, then you had to like take all these tests, like a psyche eval, language aptitude test, um, obviously the ASVAB tests, and like a physical test, and you have to score a certain level. If you pass all that, you can get this contract to come in off the street, it's called the 18 X-ray contract. And you go to basic training and airborne school, and then you go to a pre-special forces selection course, and then you go to selection with the rest of the army guys that uh, apply. And usually, you know, guys have been in for several years with, at that time, you know, at least a deployment or two under their belt. And so odds weren't in your favor, but they also were like, they were looking for people with different backgrounds, different experiences. And so... That was appealing. And then also, once I read about the motto, the motto was De Oppresso Liber, which means uh, it's Latin for to free the oppressed. That really spoke to me, I think, just because of the time I'd spent just a couple weeks before in Darfur. And uh, I just like made the decision right there. I was like, that's what I'm doing. That's it. And so I went back into the army office. I told them I want this contract and nothing else. And I got it and then, you know, not long after I was off, off in basic training. Are you one to believe in destiny? It sounded like there's a couple sequence, like a sequence of events where you're like, ah, oh, well, you know, all these signals keep popping up. Maybe I should listen to them. Is that your well, mindset? Well, I think, I don't know if I believe in, at, at, a, at a level, because I don't like the idea of like feeling like we don't have some control. You know what I mean? Like we don't have, like we have to make choices. We still have to make choices. You know what I mean? Like I don't think, I don't think it was like I had no choice because I look at that both ways and I think about, I mean, there's a, this is a very dark thing to say, but there's a big suicide epidemic in the veteran community. Right. And so if I say, I believe fully in this destiny, then I feel like I'm saying those people were destined to take their own lives. You know what I mean? And I don't believe, I think all those people are like, there was something that could have been done differently from somebody somewhere down the line a lot of people probably not one person that could change that trajectory because if you don't believe that's possible then what are you even trying to do if you think you know this right. is just going to happen so in the same way as that like i'm a big believer in signs and like you know something pushing you in a direction you know and whether that's whether that you know if you're a religious person uh whether that's god whether that's um destiny fate whatever you want to call it like the universe, there's something very alive in the universe. And I, I'm a big proponent of like, you know, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you believe in, hopefully it's a good thing. Uh, but, you know, listen to the universe and look out for those signs because um, I think they do, they do matter. So in, in a sense, that, that, that is an element of destiny, I think. Um, because I, I, I try to continue to do that today, you know, and, and, I, and I like to be open to a lot of things. And 
if it feels right, I mean, the one thing about the military thing that's tough is like you make that decision, it, it's a five-year commitment or a four-year commitment or whatever. It's not like, well, I'll just go do it. And if I don't like it, I'll quit. Like, eh, you can't really do that. <laughs> so there was a little more commitment to that, but it just at the time too, like we were, we were going to Iraq, we'd already been in Afghanistan, the surge was happening and, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what else. Like I wasn't at the time I wasn't thinking like, there's nothing else I could really imagine doing that, that would make sense. I, I didn't feel super happy back here in the States. So I, you know, I, I knew that that was, that was sort of what, what made the most sense, but also something that I actually was passionate about. And so you ended up serving for five years. Is that right? Yeah, I did five years active duty. And then after I got out and went to college, I actually went into the national national guard in Texas. And so I did four more years there and actually went back overseas a couple of times uh, while I was in school. I don't know if you know about that, but we'll get to it. (laughs) I, yeah, we'll get to it. Um, all right. So, well, I, not, not to cut out that what you learned from 2010 onward serving, but what were the biggest lessons that while you were active duty green beret, that you learn man uh i learned to um well like while while you obviously you have incredible you know leaders and teammates um to also like trust yourself you know what i mean trust your instincts for the most part i mean there's an element of like yes you have to follow orders but being in the special forces being a green beret you have to be very self-sufficient as well. You know what I mean? So, so that was a big thing, like trusting myself, making a decision and just going for it. Also, like when you train at a very high level with people, you know, on your left and right, that sometimes you don't get along with, sometimes you don't even like, you can still learn to, to love them and trust them that like they're gonna do their job and you're gonna do your job. I mean, I'm sure you experienced that in football. Like we all have people that we just, you just can't stand them. You know what I mean? It's just, it's oil and water. But when you get out there on the field, if you guys have practiced hard together, trained together, um, during the game, I feel like during those three hours, all that stuff kind of goes aside. You don't really care. You know what I mean? You just, you pull for that guy, he's pulling for you. He would do anything, on the good teams anyway, he would do anything to make sure that he's not going to let you down and you're successful. It's the same thing in, in the military, in combat situation or just in a, you know, in a training situation. And then I think the last thing I really learned to do was listen um, and try to understand people that are very different than me because in the special forces you're working with, at least at this time, you know, we were working with Iraqis and Afghans um, every day and we're training them. Um, we're listening to their needs, what they want. We're also fighting alongside them and they sort of become your brothers in arms as well. And it, it's, it's, it's tough to, to like get past differences sometimes. I mean, we see that a lot in our country today, you know, people don't even want to listen to one another, but it's okay. Like I can, I can disagree with somebody. I can have a totally different concept of what right looks like. Um, and there can even be things about those people and the, and the customs that I just adamantly disagree with and think are um, even bad. And I can still work with them and I can still 
appreciate them for the good things and love them and, you know, do what I can to, to maybe try to, to, you know, help them if they have questions as far as like, what's important to me and what's important to us. Um, but also like understand that like, this is where they were born. If I was born here, I would probably believe these same things. You know what I mean? I would like, I would have these same customs and cultures. I would have these same challenges and I need to continue to try to walk in their shoes as much as possible and understand where they're coming from. Because, you know, at the end of the day, as, as, as messed up as it sounds, like when I think about these situations in Iraq and Afghanistan with like suicide bombers, right? A lot of times it's very, very, it's people with, with, with nothing. It's people that have families. They have a lot of people to take care of, you know, the working wage in Afghanistan when I was there was like $20 a month for like a blue collar person. It's like, low. if somebody came to your door and said, you know, I'm going to give you $10,000. You'll be able to take care of your family, you know, and if that person has can, can convince you that this is what God wants you to do anyway, you know what I mean? And when you die, you're going to go, you're going to go to heaven and everything will be great and you'll be an honorable man. And, and you are someone that grew up there. You've got a third grade education, you know, at best. Um, you listen, you've learned to listen to your, to your leaders at all costs, like these, you know, religious clerics or whoever that sometimes don't have the, um, <laughs> they're not, they're not thinking about what's best for their people. They're pushing an agenda, all these things. Like, if I was in that situation, maybe I would do that. I, I, I hate, you know, I don't, I would hope that I wouldn't, but like, yeah. it's just a tough one, you know? And so when you, when you put all those factors in, like it helps you understand, and then you can try to correct those situations and like further educate as to why this is not a good thing. But. Okay. So let me ask you, is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, BetterHelp online counseling is there for you. You can connect with your professional in a safe and private online environment. It is very convenient. And you can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever and wherever you want. They have licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, and so much more. Anything you share is confidential, and if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time with no additional charge. They have over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states, available worldwide, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It is truly Counseling 2.0. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Redirect listeners can get 10% off your first with discount code REDIRECTED. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash redirected and simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor that you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash redirected. Man, I, and that's, I think what you just described, uh, your willingness to listen and to understand and to have, uh, yeah, but that, I mean, you've continued to do that, not, not only while you're serving, but also later on. And I think that's what, like, you just have such an amazing impact in that sense. And I'm, that's why I'm such a big fan personally of you because you've displayed that and we'll revisit another major t uh, event that's happened to you in a little bit. Um, but I just, I'm just really impressed with 
your willingness to do that and your ability to as well. Um, but we'll revisit in a little bit. I would love to hear once you're done with your five, your, your five-year contract serving with the green berets, what happens next? Yeah. So, um, I'll back up a little bit. So I have like a year left on my contract and I'm in Iraq. Right. And I had the opportunity to reenlist at that time. Um, and part of me wanted to, because things were still going on, war was still going on, but in Iraq, things were starting to slow down. It kind of looked or felt like at the time, maybe we were going to, um, you know, uh, move forward out of this global war on terror. And it's not, it's not that simple. It's so hard because like the, the enemy is just not, it's not like you're fighting a country. You know what I mean? There's no like, there's no surrender. I mean, it's just a different situation anyway. So, um, so I was almost, I was about to turn 29 and I made the decision to get out and finally go to college. I felt ready for the first time. So I, uh, I sort of, I started, uh, exploring opportunities, options, where to go. I mean, Vanderbilt was on my list. I'm not going to lie. Let's go, George. <laughs> uh, I, I had a few different schools. I grew up a big Notre Dame fan because I'm, you know, I was in the Bay Area. I was, a, I was a Niner fan, and Joe Montana went to Notre Dame, and Tim Brown played for the Raiders. He went to Notre Dame, and then Rocket Ismail. I had all these legends when I was a kid, so I just became a Notre Dame fan. So that was on my list, but uh, I didn't want to move to South Bend. Uh, I wanted to go to a place, being an older student, like a bigger, you know, a bigger city. So like Vanderbilt was on the list. Um, going back to California was an option. And then University of Texas in Austin. Uh, I, I love Austin. It's a great town. It's very similar to Nashville, actually. And uh, that was that was where I ended up going. I, 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 it was the only place I applied. I'd heard stories of, of Mac Brown, you know, doing a, a USO tour and like, making the helicopter wait while he shakes everybody's hand before he goes back. And uh, you see that Longhorn logo everywhere, especially in the military. I feel like, cause there's a lot of, in the army, especially there's a lot of soldiers from Texas, you know, and there's a lot of army yeah. bases in Texas. And so it just seemed like the army's team aside from the army. Um, so that was just, I was, I had my sights set on that. And also I wanted to, um, I wanted to make up for that regret, you know, of not playing football because it still bothered me even at 29. And uh, granted, I know that's like a big school and a very tough school to play at, but <laughs> but I was like, well, I'll just try out for the team. If I don't make it, I mean, life goes on. It's all good. At this point, like I'm okay with failure. You know what I mean? And so I did, and I started training for it while I was in Iraq, and then I came back to the States. I was stationed in Colorado Springs at the time, and I'd go down to the National Strength and uh, Conditioning Association, which is kind of connected to, like, the Olympic Training Center down there. And I would train there. Like, they let some of the Special Forces guys come down there and train. So I was training there. I met a, a guy named Rob Rogers, who was a uh, strength coach. He, he coached at Missouri and Baylor and USC and all these places. So he started working with me. And I, uh, I just kind of, you know, went all in on that. And then I, I got, I had one more trip to Israel before 
like a quick like two two month uh um like a, it was it wasn't like a deployment in, in the sense of like combat we were working with the israeli special forces and more of a training mission and then uh i went to austin uh right after that like i got out of the army on january 8th january 9th was my birthday january 10th uh i drove i actually drove to austin on my birthday i think january 10th was the first day of school and then january 11th was the first day of like the spring tryouts and i just uh I just went for it and it was uh luckily it was all just conditioning at first <laughs> the first cuts because i didn't really know how to play football but <laughs> but i was in good condition you know I, I i could go forever so um i blew away all the other walk-ons in that regard just because i'd spent all that time in the army and uh wasn't necessarily super strong or fast like you know 40 yard dash wise but if we ran you know 20 100s by the 10th one i was beating everybody on every one because i'm pretty much going the same speed on every one <laughs> so yeah so i made the team and that first year i was just on the scout team kind of learning the game I, you know i played safety um at the university of texas yeah 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 the university of texas yeah nuts. it was cool it was cool and and, and it, you know the cool part about it that first year of, you know, not even not playing is like, you know, I dressed for home games. I got to lead the team out of the tunnel with the American flag before every game because I'd served in the military. So like, that was really cool. Um, and then on Veterans Day, we're, we're playing that Texas Tech and we're blowing them out. And so it's on Veterans Day. So the DB coach goes up to Mac and he's like, hey, we got to put Boyer in. We got to put him in. Like, all right. So he's like, let him run down on kickoff. I'd never even, I mean, I'd done it in practice a few times, but like, not really. So I go out there, you know, I'm, I'm like L4, don't even really know what I'm doing. I just know I'm going down. I'm like, well, I'm just going to try to, you know, run, run over somebody or bust some kind of wedge or something. I run down there. I get double teamed, of course. I'm like, dude, I'm like the littlest guy out here. Why are you doubling me? And uh, so I get like stood up by these guys, but so and one of them broke off to block somebody else. And so I'm there with this, uh, this big dude. He was, I, I looked him up later. He was a freshman, so I don't feel as cool about it, but he's this big tight end. And I kind of felt his balance, get it. He felt him get off balance. And I like threw him down over my shoulder. I'm like 30 yards from the tackle, but the bench went nuts, you know? And so like we come off the field and it, it was pretty cool, but I like caught the bug. I was like, all right, I got to find a way to get on the field. And that's when uh, that that year during bowl practices is when I decided to start long snapping because the starter was graduating. He was a senior. And so I, uh, I started messing with it, man. I started Googling, watching YouTube videos. Um, I would snap a hundred balls a day, like in the, in the gym, you know, I'd wait till like it was late. The strength coach let me stay late and I would just kind of do it in the corner uh, into some pads. And uh, I was terrible for, two months probably like couldn't throw a spiral didn't have the, the technique was bad but i would like you know set a camera up i'd like video myself a little bit and then go yeah. go watch and compare to some of these guys that have been doing it for years and uh and then that summer because i was in the national guard i went back overseas and so when i, I went to uh yeah i went to i went to afghanistan between between the last couple of years i was playing and so I, I built a little target out of plywood and I was just snapping footballs into the target whenever, you know, in between missions. <laughs> Dude, it's so 
I just this story is such a cool example of flexibility. I feel like or rolling with the punches. Like, look, you just got done serving. Now you walk on. Like you like flexibility and opportunism. I guess I I don't know. I'm trying to come up with words that summarize like the lessons that are takeaways from this. Strategic awareness for you to. Uh, like no Mac Brown story that has been on USO tours that you might like have some connection there. And then the long snapping, like choosing that as the position that, Hey, you know what? You, there's a real opportunity here that you could learn. Um, and then the, the perseverance and humility also, I cannot imagine Nate being a 29 year old walking on to a team of what I imagine if it's like any other college locker room, college football locker room, is like, you know, pretty, pretty, I don't want to say arrogant because they're not bad guys, but it's like, look, these guys, there's like some of the most successful athletes out there, right? And you're this 29-year-old dude. And the humility that that takes is really impressive, you know? Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I mean, I mean, it was, you know, I'm a kid at heart too, though. Like, I'm immature in a lot of ways, so I fit right in <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, so... <laughs> I mean, some part, parts of us stopped growing up at 19. Let's just be real, you know. So, uh, no, I, I, I had a great – man, I, and most of the people I was hanging out with in college were my teammates, you know, even though I was 10 years older than a lot of them. Uh, I had my other friends in town there in Austin, but, you know, that was just – those are the guys I went to battle with. You know, I know it's not combat. It's very different. But, like, it is the same in, in – the sense of the locker hood, the brother, brotherhood, locker hood, locker room, the brotherhood, the camaraderie. Um, like we talked about earlier, you know, doing your job so that the guy on your left and right is successful. I mean, all that stuff, like it builds, it builds bonds and the age stuff kind of goes out the window. Um, I think it was funny to come back every summer from overseas and the new freshmen that are there, the rest of the team would be like telling them stories about like how, oh man, he's crazy. Like, don't mess with him. Like just not true at all. Cause I'm just not like that. But um, I would definitely spend a couple weeks playing a character when I got back just to mess with, mess with the new guys a bit. But no, it was, you know, it was, and I liked the going back and forth, like the transition from, from Afghanistan to Austin. Um, I liked it, man, because it was like, it was a break from both. <laughs> so in the summers in Austin, it's super humid. <laughs> you know, you're out there just, you're not, you know, you're going, maybe you're going to classes, but Austin kind of slows down a bit. And, you know, I wanted to get away from college, get away from all that. And I like, I like deploying as weird as that sounds. I like going back over there. And so, but also knowing that I'm only going for about three and a half months versus you know, my first deployment was about nine and a half months. Uh, it's very different, you know, so it's like, you're over there, you got an important job to do, you have a mission, you're very structured. I, I mean, I get away from all the temptations that Austin has to and everything like that. And I kind of just refocus my life and figure out not just football wise, but like other stuff, like what I want to, you know, what's the next, what's the plan for the next thing. And, um, but I, I, like I said, I mean, I loved being a, I loved being a Green Beret. I love being a part of that. And, and it was, it was a cool, it was a cool dichotomy and it was a very unique college experience for sure. Um, but I wouldn't have done it any other way. And we weren't even that good in those years as a football team, but there's no other school I would have gone to just because of the experience in Austin and getting the opportunity to, to play, you know, I mean, 
I, I came back from that trip and, and won the starting job and started for three years, you know, and that was considering I'd only been playing football for two, that was crazy, you know, um, but it worked out. Let me just list off some accolades that you earned while playing uh, first team academic, all big 12 um, academic, all American big 12 sport person of the year um, and the armed forces merit award. Uh, dude, what a story. The cheesiest, a the cheesiest one though is the Disney spirit award. Oh, I didn't, I didn't find that one. My bad. Dude. <laughs> Congrats. Hey, is that like you got some cheers or something you could throw pom poms maybe? But um, it's great. So, what did you did you even study while you were at UT? Do they have classes down there? They. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good school, man. Come on, it's a great school. Um, yeah, I did. I studied so undergrad. I studied kinesiology because I honestly thought I was going to get into potentially coaching or something like that. First year in, I knew I didn't want to be a coach, but I stuck with it, finished my degree in that. And then I actually got my master's degree in advertising. And so I wanted to go to film school while I was there, but it was just too much with football, with deploying, like film school. I mean, you, you shoot a lot of projects, you know, and the, uh, the graduate film program, they only let like 20 people in every year. And so it was already hyper competitive. And I talked to the to the dean and, and people in the uh, communications department. And they said, look, what you should do is, if you're interested, you should maybe do uh, another degree in the comm school. And then you can take film electives, you know, film related electives. And that's what I did. So I did, uh, did advertising, which was great because I actually learned a lot about development, branding. Um, uh, I mean, there's still production involved in that. But there's a marketing aspect in the film and television world that I'm working in now that is essential. So if you just are taking creative classes, like that's great if you're purely a creative, if you're just a writer or you're just an actor or whatever. But if you're trying to be a producer and you want to have a production, run a production company, which is my goal, um, all these things are essential as well. So, so that was great. So I was able to do that, you know, and finish that degree. And then... Uh, yeah, I mean, just to get the opportunity to to play in one game with the Seahawks was pretty cool too. You know, freaking awesome, man! And in 2015, another pivotal moment moment happened. Uh, you met me in New Orleans, and uh, <laughs> but but then you got picked up in free agency by the Seahawks, and you played you played a freaking game, dude. You did it. Yeah, I did. I I it was uh, just remember the last day of the draft. I got call. I got a call from the Rams. It was the St. Louis Rams then, and the St. Louis Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. And I had about thirty minutes to make the decision of where I wanted to go. And you know, the 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 strength or the uh, special teams coach for the Rams gave me a call. Um, but Pete Carroll gave me a call from the Seahawks, and wow. they'd been to back-to-back -back Super Bowls, winning one of them. And the Rams, you know, they they're coming off I think a four and twelve year. It was just like, I had friends, people telling me like, hey, dude, you're gonna have a much better chance making the Rams, like you should do that. And I was like, yeah, but either way, I'm a long shot. I'm a huge long shot. If I don't go after the big fish, you know, I'll regret it. Just like the, being a Green Beret, you know, same kind of thing, same mentality. So that's what I did. I just said, no, I'm gonna go to Seattle. Whatever happens, happens. 
And once again, I don't, don't regret that decision. Um, and you've, you've provided and you've built, you've earned this platform from which I feel like you've used so responsibly. Uh, I want to revisit the empathy thing that we were discussing earlier. And you had this conversation with Colin Kaepernick while the whole taking a knee thing was, was taking place. If you could touch on that. Yeah. So that one game I got to play in, um, just like in college, I got to lead the team out of the tunnel with the American flag, which is really cool. Like players don't usually do that, but the uh, equipment manager came up to me before the game and said, Hey, you know, we usually have an active duty guy lead the team out, you know, with the fire going off and the cheerleaders and everything with the flag. And he, he said, but you know, do you want to do it? It's your first game here. I didn't know it was going to be my last. Uh, and it was at, you know, it was in CenturyLink field. It's against Peyton Manning and the Broncos. It's like a big deal. Um, and so I was like, of course. So take the flag, run out of the tunnel. And then we're on the sidelines. And in college, you know, you're not on the field when they play the anthem. Like we're in the locker rooms. And then they play the anthem and then we come out. And in college, in the NFL, obviously, that's a different situation. So I'm standing on the sidelines, not even really thinking about it. And then the announcer says, would everybody please rise uh, as we you know, honor the nation by the playing the national anthem. And so I like look around, find the, we're supposed to find the tallest flag in the building, wherever you are. And so I find there's like, this flag like way up high. I turn like face the flag, put my hand in my heart. And then they, this anthem starts getting sung and I got super emotional, I start crying. So I'm like, bawling on the sidelines during the anthem and afterwards it was super cool like Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman and, and Marshawn and all these guys like came up to me and like you know gave me a hug and you know just were appreciative um you know Russell Wilson everybody like it was really cool because uh, I think they all kind of saw, <laughs> saw me losing it and uh we played the game move on or whatever now it's a year later Literally a whole year later, you know, I've been released uh, and they've got uh, um, during the preseason again. And it's also during the presidential election, which is like it's like, you know, Trump versus Hillary and this whole very divisive time. And Colin Kaepernick starts sitting on the, the bench and protesting the anthem. And, uh, you know, I'm a big Niner fan. I grew up a Niner fan. And. That, that one, you know, really hurt me more than anything. It wasn't like, I wasn't just like super offended or, or whatever. I was just like hurt because, I don't know, I just took it, I, I took it a certain way because of what do those symbols mean to me, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, you know, a lot of people were upset and a lot of people were also very much in support of him. And I kept getting reached out to by like CNN and Fox News and, you know, whatever headline news and MSNBC, they're all reaching out like, Hey, you got to weigh in on this because you were in the military and you played, is this offensive to the military, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, I don't speak for every veteran. <laughs> and second of all, like, I'm not going to go, no matter what, if I go on a certain station, certain channel, like I'm going to be put in that box of like, Oh, he's a bleeding heart liberal or you know, he's a gun-toting conservative or whatever, just because I went on that show. And it's like, I don't really feel like either. I feel like I'm in the middle on a lot of things. I have my own opinions on every issue, you know what I mean? And so I didn't do it. I, I, I said, no, I don't want to do that. And 
the Army Times reached out twice. <laughs> and like the Army Times is this little newspaper that not a lot of people read. Um, and you know, it's 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 always in the bathroom on base. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just one of those things. Yeah. And, and they hit me up and, and asked me to write an, an, uh, an opinion piece. And I said, I don't want to write an op-ed. Like, I don't want to write about like why he's wrong and this is why he should do that. They wrote me back again. They said, look, we just want you to write something. You can write whatever you want. And I said, fine, I'll do it if I can write an open letter to Colin. And they said, okay. And I said, and I get to see the final edit. So I just wrote this letter, um, which you can, you can still, yeah, you can find it online. If you just Google open letter to Colin Kaepernick, Nate Boyer or whatever, you'll find it. But basically I just explained my experiences, why I feel the way I feel, but also said, look, I don't know what it's like to be you and walk around in your shoes. And so, um, you know, I, I know, I know what you're doing is very courageous, but and tough. And, 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 you know, I, I look forward to the day that you're willing to stand again. Uh, I just want to read one little paragraph that kind of touches on why I'm, I mean, because you have you who served, as a Green Beret, you played in the NFL, and then him, and you're both kind of spokespersons for this cause. And uh, you said this, you said, even though my initial reaction to protest, uh, to your protest was one of anger, I'm trying to listen to what you're saying and why you're doing it. When I told my mom about this article, she cautioned me that the last thing our country needed right now was more hate. And as usual, she's right. And I just feel like, man, if we had more of that perspective, like, it's okay to have differing opinions, uh, but I feel like we're, we're yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but where we go wrong so often is assuming that there's no room to listen to the other opinion. And um, so anyway, I, I wanted to bring that up because I think it's important, especially in, in the political climate we're living in right now. And the, there's just so much going on, like that attitude that, that you had of like, look, I, uh, I was initially angry, but I'm going to, I'm going to put that aside and actually listen to, to what you're saying is just so good, dude. So thank you for sharing that. You know, I think, I mean, Colin, Colin appreciated it too. And he actually ended up calling me and uh, wanting to sit down. So we ended up meeting the next day in San Diego, right before their final preseason game, like literally four hours before kickoff, I met him in the hotel lobby <laughs> and we just talked about all this stuff, man. And we talked, we chatted for a couple hours before the buses left. And then he, uh, he asked if there was another way he could protest that wasn't going to offend people in the military. And I was like, man, no matter what you do, people are going to be offended. Like you can't win here. Like, you know, um, I was like, of course I want you to stand, but I don't want you to stand out of obligation. I want you to stand because you want to. And, uh, through our conversation, we sort of, came up with this idea of taking a knee instead alongside his teammates. I told him, I said, look, I think that's more respectful, at least if you're not going to stand, um, doing something, being alongside your teammates is very important. And, um, it, to me, sitting on the bench, like back away from everybody kind of looks like you're either making it about you or that you just don't really care, you know? And I don't think after our conversation, I was like, I know that's not the, the case. So, that's when he changed, you know, that, that, uh, that day. And I, I stood on the field next to him while he took a knee. And I think it was an important moment for me too. <laughs> Cause it was like, that took some courage on my part, even like I felt, I knew I was going to get attacked. I knew I was going to get, 
whatever. But I was like, hey, look, I'm standing up for the Constitution, the First Amendment, um, which is freedom of speech, you know, and I'm standing up for for somebody that I think is a good person. Um, I might disagree on a lot of levels, a lot of things that he's saying, but like, that's okay. I could still, um, I could still show compassion and uh, we can still figure things out together and hopefully come to more middle grounds in our country where I feel like he listened to me and he, and he feels like I listened to him and we're trying to figure things out together. Powerful stuff, man. Um, your reaction when the Seahawks let you go, what was it? <laughs> I mean, I was hoping it was going to last a little longer, but I, I knew it was coming, most likely. I mean, they had a good long snapper there. And to your point, he was like 6'3", 250. Um, and he was six years younger than me. I mean, I was the oldest guy on the team, man. I got there at 34. I was the, the oldest rookie in NFL history in the modern era. And, uh, and the next oldest guy was the 33-year-old punter, John Ryan. Like Everybody else was super young. So – um anyway but i remember the gm john schneider he's a great guy man and uh he's been a big supporter of charity stuff i've been working on since then but he came he's walking down the hall towards me and he had this look on his face like you know like uh man i got some bad news here you know and i knew what he was gonna say I mean, before he even said it he walked up he's like nate i'm like it's all good man <laughs> don't worry about it and he was like i'm sorry and i'm like dude it's business. He's like, I was like, I, you took a chance on me. I appreciate it. And, you know, he took me up to, to Pete's office and, you know, we sat down there and chatted for a bit. And, nah, it was good, man. Like it was, it was all good. They, I could tell they just, they, it was like their dog had died. You know, they had, a, it, was, it was such a sad day. And, uh, uh, but it was, it was more about like what I, you know, kind of what I, what they felt like I was bringing to the locker room, not the field. And I get that. So, um, but it was all good. I was just, I was grateful for the opportunity. Man, well, I don't feel like you've missed a beat since being done uh, with football. Are you done? Are you officially retired? You know what? I, yeah. I, the Dallas Renegades, the XFL team, asked, asked me to play this year. And uh, I weigh about 177 pounds right now. Uh, I'm like, I, I, I did get back into long snapping a bit and uh, was considering it. I was going to maybe play if it was for the LA team because that was local. I got some, some you know, TV stuff going on out there, yeah. but, uh, but it didn't, it didn't, it didn't happen. And, you know, I think they, I think they, the season just got canceled, I think, because of all this coronavirus stuff. So. Yeah, man, I think it did. Uh, I want to give you the floor to talk about the, the projects that you have going on right now. And, and there's no shortage of them. Um, you have, let's see the Trinidad three jeans partnership, you have, uh, you, you are, you got into film after all, um, and you're producing your first feature length film, which is incredible. And then you're also doing some writing. Go ahead and go ahead and hit it. Yeah. Um, so Trinidad three, this is it right here. Trinidad three jeans. Trinidad is a Marine buddy of mine. Uh, he was in two seven, which is a battalion that got that hit pretty much the hardest, uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan on back-to-back -back deployments in 08 and 09. I think they lost 29 guys. And sadly, they've lost roughly 45 to suicide since then out of one battalion, which is like unheard of. Well, you know, a lot of these guys have kind of banded together in the Los Angeles area. And uh, uh, they were stationed out at 29 Palms, which isn't far from there. They banded together out there and through our charity MVP uh, that I started with Jay Glazer, 
which stands for Merging Vets and Players, these guys have sort of come out of the woodwork and started working together uh, again and like building themselves back up and finding new purpose. Well, Trinidad, he went to fashion school after the Marine Corps. And he went to FITM, which is super weird. And he was like in his late 30s. You know, imagine that. Talk about going back to college, fish out of water thing. Like he's out there because he loves denim and he wants to like make, he wants to make the greatest gene known to man. So he's out there doing that, hyper-focused on it. And as things have, have developed, you know, we just, we partnered up recently because we have that same mission and concept of like repurposing, you know, repurposing materials, but also repurposing people, you know, and like, that's all we want to be as veterans, like repurposed in some way. And, you know, for, for him to find that love again and something that, that, that he really has that same passion for, like he did in the Marine Corps. Uh, it's inspiring, man. It's tough business. It's very challenging, but uh, it's it's super cool. So, yeah, Trinidad Three Jeans. You know, check it out. It's it's incredible stuff. It's all made in America. Everything is made in Los Angeles, um, which is very rare, very very rare these days. And it's it's the best stuff you can buy. It's really really high quality stuff. And in the movie, so uh, produced my first feature film. We're in post production right now. Um, Man, we did this thing on a shoestring budget out in Massachusetts over the winter, uh, pretty much right after Christmas until late January. And a lot of veterans involved in that as well, both in front of and behind the camera. It's a thriller called The Secret of Cinchini. And uh, I mean, in movie, in movie money, like we made this, like, it's insane. And we made it for, for the low, low, low six figures, the lowest six figure you can imagine. So like, <laughs> it's uh, and it, but to me it looks like a it looks like a it looks like a million dollar movie or more, and I can't wait for that to come out. And then uh, when's the release? Yeah, I, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. We're gonna submit okay. to film festivals. We're gonna submit to film festivals first. So I think our first goal is to submitting to Toronto Film Festival, which I believe is in September. Um, and so then and we'll just kind of go down the line. I mean, I would love it to be at, at, at uh, South by Southwest because it's back in Austin or Sundance. I've been to Sundance before. That's great. And then lastly, I, I partnered on this, this book. Uh, it's called Deliberate Discomfort. It's actually written by one of my commanders in the Special Forces, Jason Van Camp. But a bunch of us who served, some, a couple of these guys are Medal of Honor recipients. Uh, we, we did this book called Deliberate Discomfort. And basically, it's talking about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know? We talk about our experiences in the military, our experiences since then, but how some of the most successful people, successful leaders, successful warriors, were ones that like leaned into that, that awkwardness, leaned, leaned into the tough times, you know what I mean? And were not afraid to fail. Like maybe even they were afraid to fail, but they were so afraid to fail, they wouldn't let it happen, you know what I mean? And, uh, so it's just, it's a really cool compilation of like all these people's experiences and how it relates to, you know, whether, you, you know, you're a business owner or you work or you want to be a business owner or you're an athlete, um, there's just a ton of, ton of connections there. So deliberate discomforts, the book, check that one out as well. Sorry. I just crammed all that stuff in your, in your oh, face. I love, <laughs> um, I love it. And then you mentioned merging veterans and players. Uh, how can people learn more? Yeah. Vetsandplayers.org. Uh, is the website mvp you know i co-founded it with jay glazer and we're bringing together combat vets and former professional athletes 
and helping them find purpose, community, service, uh, just that brotherhood, locker room, and team that they miss, you know, and finding that self-worth again or understanding that you're not the uniform you wore, you know, that was just, that was, that was like who you maybe identified with, but that's not who you are. Who you are is the person that beat out so many other people to get to that level and sacrifice so much to get to that level. You're still that person. So you can start on that new venture in life, whatever it is. Maybe it's being a great father, Andrew. I don't know. You can do that using those same skills you developed, you know, to be a great long snapper, to be a great student, you know, to be, be a great guy. So um, that's really all it's about. And we, 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 we have chapters all over the country. We just opened our New York chapter. Um, Nashville will be there soon. And we meet up every week in the gym and we train for about 45 minutes. And then for the next 45 minutes, we hang out on the wrestling mats and we just talk, man. It's an open forum. People can talk about anything. Uh, we encourage vulnerability and, and, you know, if you're struggling with something like get it out there because someone else in that room has been through something similar and we'll talk through it. We'll figure it out, you know? And then from there we build these communities of, of people that you know, go out and do service projects, uh, but also are just there for one another. So you don't feel alone. Um, Cause I mean, I'm sure, you know, guys that you've played with at some level and like the isolation thing's a big issue and you get done and like, you don't know who you are anymore and you kind of run from you run from it because it's scary and uh guys in the military do it as well and girls and it's like uh it's just not a, it's not a good place to be man we're, we're we're pack animals you know we're supposed to be part of a herd and a tribe and um and we just need to maintain that it is i, I like yeah it, it's it's so hard to to make the transition out of athletics, no matter what level, I can't imagine how much more intense that uh, difficulty of transition is. I have imagine. I imagine your wife has it had to be like crazy because, like, that's from such a young age that that's who you are. You know, that's it. Yeah, I think I would think she would probably just say, "Let's see." She retired when she was twenty, and I think it probably took her six years fully to like feel confident in the next thing. Um, I do have a question. You kind of alluded to it earlier, but. A lot of football players make the uh, comparison of, hey, we're going to battle together. You've done both, playing football and, and gone to battle. Is that comparison frustrating ever for you? Um, no, because, because I think people under people that say it, I think I would think they understand, you know. I mean, it's not like lives aren't at stake. Like the stakes are very different, right? Um, but the mentality – to be successful, it has to be similar. I mean, it does. I, I mean, I can't imagine being going in a cage, like in an, in an octagon as a UFC fighter, like a sport like that, you know what I mean? Which, and, and football is a very brutal sport, but like, just, you know, with that, you have to have a mentality of just like, I'm going to war in a sense, you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm like, my, my, my life is on the line. Like, you have to feel those things. You have to feel that way it, it, at a level. Um, I think with young kids, it's probably a little bit dangerous, you know what I mean, for coaches to, 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 to act like that. Um, but the, but the, the level of preparation and how seriously you have to take it and, the, uh, you know, uh, training at a high level, I mean, you have to have that similar mentality. You really do. And then, that, like we talked about several times on this, like the, the brotherhood and the bonds um, and, you know, fighting for each other, all those things are essential to successful teams like you have to have that or they, or you don't win i mean that's why the seahawks were so good i think because 
when you looked at that team who all those guys have become superstars now and a lot of them are on different teams because they couldn't afford to keep them all but a lot of those guys were not high draft picks chip on their shoulder type guys that's the type of guys Pete Carroll liked to have on the team and they just fed off one another man you go to practice and there's this energy level that I, I haven't noticed anywhere else like I've been to you know I've, I've been to training camp with other teams and seen stuff and it's just different you know it's just different there and it was it was just a, a group of guys that were pushing each other to be better all the time and that's the same it goes the same way in the military the best units are, are ones like that that have that you know that live and die for one another mentality i'll do anything for this guy even if i don't like him <laughs> yeah man i uh geez we're I'm, I'm taking up a lot of your time. I'm glad I caught you on quarantine or you, else you probably have something uh, to do, but we'll close out. I'm curious to hear what your goals are now, Nate. Man, I, I want to have my own production company uh, when it comes to personal goals and, and pro at a professional level. Um, I want to make my own content, make my own movies. Uh, I do want to direct a film. That's kind of my next goal. Um, and uh, yeah, just keep moving forward in that regard. But also with MVP, man, I wanna, I wanna have that, that chapter, or that chapter, that charity be everywhere. I wanna have chapters all over the country. Um, that's a big goal for that. And uh, I just wanna continue to empower people to be great. I mean, we all are capable of it, you know? We all have a story. We've all been through tough stuff. Um, and we're all able, you know? So like, don't let anything get in your get in your way because the number one thing that gets in your way is yourself. <laughs> I know that from personal experience, you know, and the, and the roommates in your head. Uh, that's what stops us from, you know, from being great because with, without obstacles, there is no greatness. You need those obstacles. So there's no excuse there. Wow. Um, I feel kind of silly asking this question because I feel like this whole episode has been um, just packed full of lessons, but three pieces of advice that you would give the audience. I know you just gave one. I've, I've no, I've, I've, I've said this before and I think it's super important and it, it's sort of, it's, it, it's, it, it can relate to a lot of different things, but I think it especially relates to, um, if somebody asks you the question, like, what, you know, what do you want or what do you want to do? And I think the three, the three really important things for me to remember is to be very clear about what that thing is, be specific, and be honest, <laughs> be brutally honest. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, I've seen it a lot in, in the professional world as far as like the film and TV world, right? Where, you know, a young person comes in, a lot of accolades, well-educated, super smart, super creative, ultra capable. And someone asks them what they wanna do and they know the answer to the question. And they're afraid to like put it out there because maybe it'll sound a little audacious or stupid or like, you know, they're afraid the person will be like, oh, you're crazy. It's going to take you 15 years to get to that level. You have to do this, this, this. But it's like, no, you know, be clear, be specific and be honest about who you are or who you, who you want to be or what you want to do. And uh, then people can help you. Otherwise, they don't know how to help you. If you're like, well, I'm kind of interested in this, but this is cool. And, I you know, I just I just don't know. And uh, the answer to that too is if you, if you don't know right now, then, then try things. Get out there and try all those things that you're interested in. And you'll find things that stick, you know. Don't just join the military because then you're stuck. But uh, you know, uh, whatever you're interested in, go seek it out, go check it out, give it a try. And uh, you never know. Thankful that you gave us the time here today. Uh, it's so cool that 
you have not only had the courage to engage in the conversations um, that that you've chosen to engage in, which takes courage because it's not easy. You're going to catch slack from both sides. Um, and you've just been such a fantastic figurehead. I think a great example of, of how, again, to have empathy and, and really like engage in conversation with people of, of a different mindset um, and all your accomplishments well-earned. I appreciate you giving us the time in and uh, all the wisdom as well. I'm sure they will. Thank you, Andrew. And I've been following you guys and your family and everything and really proud of you guys. And <laughs>